have invited me to come and to uh, uh, substitute uh, for Brother Sanders. And uh, so while I'm not following the same theme as Brother Sanders, I am following the major theme, and that is uh, preaching from God's Word. And I'm hopeful that the, the lessons thus far and will continue to be lessons that will be benefit the church, to strengthen the church, and to encourage uh, the church. Let's begin our class with a word of prayer. Father, we give you thanks for the past night's rest. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity that we've been blessed with to be able to come here this day in the comfort of this building, the freedom of this country, to be able to study a portion of your word and to worship you. Father, we pray that everything that we say and do will be pleasing in your sight. And when we worship, Father, that it will be in spirit and truth. Father, we ask your blessings upon those who we each individually at this time are mindful of that that have physical needs, those who are sick, those who may have been hurt, those who have lost loved ones. Father, whatever needs there might be, that as we individually lift those names to your throne of grace at this time, we ask for providential blessings upon them that they receive what is in their best interest. And Father, we pray for those who are still on their way to be with us this morning, that they'll have a safe uh, trip here. We ask, Father, that you'd help us to be mindful of those who are spiritually sick, that those who, uh, who we know are not here, that, Father, we might, because of our love for the truth, our love for the lost, that we, Father, will have the courage to, to seek them out, and through the power of your word, we might be able to bring them back home. Father, we ask that you forgive us of sin that's in our life. Please remove those stumbling blocks, whatever they may be, so that, Father, we can continue to, to live in a way that would only bring you glory and honor. And Father, now as we enter into this period of study, we ask that you help us to remove any worldly distractions so that uh, we can center our thoughts upon what it is that you would have us to learn. Help us, Father, to remember what we study. Father, help us to have the courage to apply it to our lives and to share it with others. We ask your blessings upon this congregation, upon our elders, upon our ministers, upon each and every member, Father, here, that they might live in a way that would, bring a, that would be a light to this community. Father, bless our efforts here in this gospel meeting, that the things that are said or done that might help strengthen the church, that Father might also help strengthen the kingdom in this area. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and amen. You can count me if you want, but you know. <laughs> Hebrews nine twenty seven. We read it's appointed unto man once to die, but after that the judgment. In John chapter five, verse twenty eight and twenty nine, Jesus says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. 
those who've done good to the resurrection of life and those who've done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, concerning the Lord's return, he said he will return in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. One thing that's certain, brethren, is if we live long enough, the Lord is going to return while we're alive. If the Lord lingers in his return, we will die. So what's certain is if the Lord doesn't return, you're going to die. After that, what do we have left to look forward to? Judgment. If we don't die and the Lord returns, there's something that's, that's sure enough going to happen, even if we die, and that's the Lord's going to return. And when he returns, we can know that for sure that one of two things will take place at judgment. We'll be directed towards the choice that we made, and let me make it plain, uh, the Lord isn't deciding for us. Because we choose who it is that we're going to serve. We choose which path it is that we're going to follow. And so all the Lord is going to do is say, well, you chose destruction. You chose eternal life. Some people are making decisions to be lost. They don't know that they're lost. Some people are making the decision to be lost and it's because of the fact that they don't understand or really believe either in hell or they just don't believe it's going to be that bad or for some reason they think things might not happen the way they've been told is going to happen, the way God has said it's going to happen. But who is it that's going to be lost for certain well, Romans 8, verse 1. There's therefore now no condemnation. Condemnation means you've not been condemned. You're not damned. That means you're not going to hell. There's therefore now no condemnation. Who's not going to hell? To those who are in Christ Jesus. Who do what? Who don't walk according to the flesh, but do walk according to the Spirit. So who do we know will be saved? People who are in Christ Jesus, who are walking according to the instructions of the Holy Spirit. Who do we know are going, is going to be lost? Anyone that is outside of Christ. It's as plain and simple as that. People who are outside of Christ are people who believe that did actually take advantage of the blood of Jesus but didn't walk according to the Spirit but continued to walk in the flesh. So what does that mean where we're concerned? Well, let's think about it. Do you know anybody that's not a Christian? Do you have any friends who aren't Christians? They're lost. Do you have any family members who are not Christians? They're lost. Do you associate with anybody? Do you work with anyone who is not a Christian? They're lost. 
Is there anyone in your neighborhood who's not a Christian, who you associate with, that you know people? They're lost. Does that bother you? Well, sure, that bothers me. What are we doing about it then? That tells us how much it really bothers us. Because the one thing that's certain is we're all going to have to stand before God in judgment. And we're either going to be saved or we're going to be lost. And those of us who are in Christ Jesus know people who are outside of Jesus and they're lost. And the only thing that matters in this life when everything's said and done is whether or not we're going to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the only thing that's going to matter. And why is he going to say that? Well, because I made so much money in my job. Because I was so successful in my business. Because I was the best in my sport. I was the best in this area because I achieved so much. And I can stand before God and he says, let me see, what do you have to show for yourself? And I said, well, I have this and I did that. I didn't. He said, no, I burn all that up. Now, what do you have to show for yourself? You see, the only thing that we have that we can bring with us when we leave this earth, the only thing that we can show God and say, this is what I have to show for my life on earth, are the souls that we have lead to Jesus. That's the only thing that we can take with us. So what are we laying up? What, what kind of treasures are we laying up? In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16, Paul said, For who's known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him? But we, Christians, we have the mind of Christ. Do we? 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, Paul said, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So we're supposed to be imitators of Jesus. We are to have the mind of Christ. Now, if we're imitating Jesus, what was the Lord's goal in coming to this world? Well, Luke 19, verse 10, where the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, those that are lost. So the purpose of the Lord being on this earth was to try to help people to go to heaven. And if we're supposed to be imitators of Jesus, brethren, if we have the mind of Christ, brethren, and we're imitating him, and his goal in life was just to try to help people to go to heaven, what should we be doing? What are we spending most of our time doing? Things that are going to help us, our family, and those we come in contact with to go to heaven, or just taking care of people business? The world takes care of people business every day. That's all they do is get up and think about people business and what we need to do to just get along in this world and to get along with the people of the world and be able to just make things to continue, life to continue to go on so that we don't have to be stressed about the cares of this world so we do what we need to do and people all around us are what? Dying in their sins. You've seen these hats, T-shirts, bracelets and things that say WWJD. What's that stand for? 
Now, I'm not preaching. This is class. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Now, what's supposed to be the purpose behind having that? Is to make us think that no matter what situation that we're in, that we need to be thinking, what would Jesus do under these circumstances? That applies to everything. What would Jesus do? Now, the problem with that is you can go out on the street, go downtown Lebanon here and just stop people and say, "Um, under these circumstances, what do you believe Jesus would do? And you ask ten different people, there's a good chance you're going to get ten different answers. So how is asking the question, what would Jesus do, how is that a good question? If we're going to have different answers. Well, the thing is, if we're being imitators of Christ, then certainly asking the question, what would Jesus do, is the right question. But the only way we're going to get the right answer is if we have the mind of Christ. And the only way we can have the mind of Christ is if we know the word of Christ. What would Jesus do? Well, I don't know. What did he say concerning life situations? There was a time when the people who were members of the Lord's church that the denominational world, they'd say, oh, don't get in a, don't get in a religious discussion with those people from the Church of Christ because they cheat. They memorize. We were known as a Bible-toting, Bible-quoting people. So if the question's asked, what would Jesus do? Well, let me see, what did Jesus say? And we could just let people know, well, here's what the Lord said about this. So how do you know that's the right thing to do? I know it's the right thing to do because I know what Jesus said about it. But if we don't know his word, we can't answer that question. But going back to the main theme of what I want us to consider this morning, what would Jesus do when it comes to those who are lost? Well, we know what he'd do. Every day was about trying to seek and save the lost. Well, when Jesus finished his mission here on earth and his physical life, and he was raised from the dead, and before he was resurrected into heaven, he spoke to his apostles. And he gave them this command that we refer to as the Great Commission. And in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he said, Go into all the world... And preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. In Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20. Jesus said to them. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So go therefore and teach all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo I'm with you always even unto the end of the world. But notice he had said. Teaching them. To observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Do what? Go teach the world. Make disciples. Those who believe and are baptized shall be saved. Well, what are we teaching them? Teaching them what I've commanded you. Now, what did I commanded you to do? To go and teach all nations. So if we're teaching those what Jesus taught us, And Jesus told us to teach people what they need to do to go to heaven, and we're supposed to teach them whatever things we were commanded, then that means that everybody that becomes a Christian is also taught what? That they're supposed to try to go out and convert others 
to teach them. So if you're here today and you're a Christian, someone helped you understand what it is that you needed to do. You were taught the gospel. And being a recipient recipient of the gospel, receiving it, okay, I get that word. (laughs) Having received that information and accepted it and obeyed it, it's now your responsibility to share it with others. We've been taught or should have been taught to observe all things that the Lord commanded those apostles. So when it comes to approaching people, let me ask you this before I get too far. What time's class over? That's too soon. <laughs> ten past ten. Oh, well, I'll talk to him about giving me a little more time. <laughs> when we start trying to talk about evangelism, there are lots of different challenges that we may face. You know, we could face the, the challenge of exposing denominational error, their teaching, uh, talking about facing the problem that people say, well, one church is as good as another. You, you know, and you've seen the bumper stickers and the, and, the, and the billboards that say, this Sunday, attend the church of your choice, as though it doesn't make any difference to God. And so that's a challenge. And then we've recently, more so in our country than ever before, beginning to have the challenge of, uh, if you share the truth, it's referred to as hate speech. You know, that's a challenge. But the number one challenge that I'd like to address here for a few minutes is just, brethren, approaching people with the gospel. We can talk about all the problems that we might have once we get involved in the discussion, but the number one challenge for most people is just approaching others with the gospel. Well, there's three different ways I'd like for us to look at briefly here of how the Lord did it. You see, we're talking about imitating Jesus. How did the Lord evangelize? Well, first of all, he planned opportunities. In Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, we have what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew chapter 5 begins by Jesus saying, we're reading where it says, Matthew records for us, and when Jesus saw the multitudes, what did he do? He saw a whole bunch of people that are flocking to be with him and to hear him. And he says, I need to plan an opportunity here, a, a way to be able to take advantage of this. And so he went up upon the mountain. Well, why did he do that? Well, we would, th- we would know from, from just uh, the laws of nature that he took advantage of being in an atmosphere to where he could speak. And even though there might be thousands of people, he could speak and his voice would be projected and everybody would be able to hear him. So what did he do? He planned an opportunity to be able to speak to people, to teach them. Now, here's the question for us. Do we plan opportunities? Do we take advantage of plan opportunities? You know, how long has it been, how many weeks ahead of time was it announced that there was going to be a gospel meeting Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of this week, this past week and today? It's been a while. 
in taking advantage of this opportunity, did we talk to our friends, our neighbors, and loved ones and just simply say, we're having a gospel meeting. Would you like to come? I'd like for you to be my guest. How about I take you out to supper and then we go on to church services on Friday night or Saturday night? Would you like to, you know, and sometimes folks will say, well, I would have liked to have been there Sunday except we had family that came to visit. And so, you know, the Lord's first. But uh, And what does the family or the friends understand about who's first? Well, I would like to have been there Friday or Saturday, but, you know, uh, a ball game and this and that. And, 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 you're, and this is how the denominational world would approach it. Isn't your church having a revival this week? Yeah, but I, you know, my bowling night is Friday night. Oh, I understand, you know, it's better to be a holy roller at the boat, at the bowling alley than. Bottom line, though, brethren, is taking advantage of planned opportunities. Sometimes you don't have to do anything other than just invite people. Gospel meetings, vacation Bible school, regular services. Just inviting people. Why? Because of the fact that the people that are outside of Christ, they're lost. We ought to invite. And then we ought to invite. And then once they say no two or three times, what we need to do is invite. Because you see, until the day that they die or the Lord returns, there's still hope that that person could come to Jesus. And the only way they may come to Jesus will be because of the fact that somebody continued to knock on their door. How many times has a Jehovah's Witness come to your house and left a track? It's incredible. They keep coming to my house. Now, they don't, they don't stay anymore. They come, stick it in the door, and run. They used, to, they used to knock on the door and want to talk to me. Now, you know, I open the door and it falls. In, well, they were back. Well, they're persistent, and they leave that information. And most of the time, I look at it and read it to see what it is that they're saying. Now, in being able to look at it and compare it with what the Bible says, I'm able to identify whether what they're teaching on that topic is truth or error. I do that. And if I do it, I know that there's other people in the world that would do that too. Do we leave information with our friends and neighbors at their homes? Planned opportunities. Jesus, secondly, was sought out of those who had spiritual questions. You know, sometimes brethren will say, well, I, I would love to evangelize. If somebody will come and they'll ask me a question, oh, man, that would just thrill me if somebody would ask me a Bible question. When was the last time somebody asked a Bible question? You see, Nicodemus in John chapter 3 sought Jesus out. Now, he came by night, and we know it's because of the fact that he was not wanting to draw attention to the fact that he was going to talk to Jesus. But for some reason, he decided that Jesus was the one that could answer his Bible question. 
Why? Obviously, he knew something about Jesus and his knowledge of God's word. When's the last time someone had a Bible question for you? You see, if if we're living, if we're imitating Jesus and people came to Jesus to ask him Bible questions, obviously it had something to do with how he lived that people said he's somebody that I need to talk to when it comes to religious matters. If we're imitating Jesus, if we have the mind of Christ, then we're going to be living in such a way that if someone outside of Christ has a Bible question, they're going to say, you know, so-and-so, and in their mind they're going to go, by their definition, they, they're a Christian man or they're a Christian woman. I can tell. That's the one I need to ask about this Bible question. Brethren, we're supposed to be different. Obviously, Jesus was different, and that's what caused people to be drawn to him. But just how different are we supposed to be? Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said in verses 14 through 16, You are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp, put it under a basket, but on a lampstand it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. Now, if Christians are lights in the world, what does that mean everybody else that are outside of Christ? What are they? It's a little louder. Darkness. So how hard is it to determine the difference between a light that's on and a light that's off? How hard is it to determine when you walk into a room whether or not there is light or darkness? How obvious is it supposed to be that we are Christians? The difference between light and darkness. You ever been walking out at night and seen a shooting star? And what do we do? You know, we're with our family and we see that shooting star. And we, children, 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 children. Oh, teaching moment here. Look, there goes a shooting star. Right? No. Because what usually happens when we see a shooting star? We go, look, look, did y'all see that? Why? Because it happened that fast. Just pew. Now, why is it that it only lasted a split second and we still were able to identify that there was a light? Because it was a split second of light in total darkness. You know what that tells me since Jesus says that we're supposed to be a light? That that means that we're supposed to constantly live our life in such a way that no matter whether we're around somebody for a long period of time or just for a short period of time, that they should be able to say something different about that person. 
Maybe they're just waiting on you. You've walked in to pay for your gasoline from the pump, and you walk in there, and all you're doing is giving them money. But there's something about the way that you treat that person behind the cash register compared to everybody else. How you address them compared to everybody else. That you come in there, and when you leave, they go, I don't know. I like that guy. Why? I don't know. I guess because of the fact he didn't throw his money down and say, There. Fix that pump. There's something different about us. People searching for spiritual answers are drawn to people who are spiritual. When's the last time somebody approached you with a Bible question? That's one of the ways Jesus evangelized, was living the life of a spiritual person. But then thirdly, Jesus approached others. And this is one that's probably the the hardest for us. It's easier to invite people, to take advantage of planned opportunities and invite people. It's easier, but are we even doing that? We would love for people to approach us, hopefully, with a Bible question so that we could get into a Bible discussion. But then for us to actually approach someone else and say, let's talk about the Bible, and that's a little touchier. How do I, how do I, how do I break that ice? Well, in John chapter 4, Jesus sits down by Jacob's well. He's tired from his journey, and his disciples, they have gone on into the city to buy some supplies. And while he's resting, a Samaritan woman comes along, and she's drawing water, and Jesus speaks to her and says, give me a drink of water. And she's taken aback. She's like, "Um, why would you, a Jew... Speak to me, a Samaritan. Jews don't have anything to do with Samaritans. Now, what did Jesus just do? He's breaking the ice here. He went first. Matter of fact, he even went first in a circumstance that under these conditions, most people would say, "Mm, this is going to be awkward. That's how a lot of us feel anyway when we're going to approach somebody to talk to them about God. Oh, I've got to talk to them about God. This is going to be awkward. Well, this is just awkward from the standpoint that uh, he's a Jew and she's a Samaritan. They don't associate with each other. Give me a drink of water. Why would you ask me to? Well, he says, well, if you knew who I was, you would ask that I give you water. Well, she says, how could you give me water? Because you don't have anything which to draw from. He goes, "Mm, I can give you living water. That when you drink of it, you'll never thirst again. Now, think about this. Jesus didn't just immediately say to this woman, um, Do you love God? Do you, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven or hell? Now, that might be one way to start a conversation with somebody. But that's not how Jesus began his. He didn't begin by just saying, uh, Do you believe in the Bible? Do you own a Bible? Let's... Uh, He just dealt with the circumstance at hand. What was it? She's there to get some water. And he says, hmm, I believe I can break the ice here and talk to her about spiritual things based upon the circumstances. What's that? Well, there was a physical need to 
quench a thirst, and he knows the most important thirst that needs to be quenched is the spiritual one. (laughs) Yeah, if you knew who I was, you would ask me of water so that you could drink of it, and you would never thirst again. She goes, give me of that water so that I might drink of it. What did he do? Boy, he threw that lure out there, and he, he hooked her. She's ready to talk about spiritual things even though she doesn't realize it. He's a fisher of men. She, he has just talked about something that's spiritual and she just jumped all over it thinking it's about the physical and now he's got the opportunity to talk to her on a spiritual level. Do we try to take advantage? See, this is one way to approach people. Purpose of the conversation. The purpose of the conversation that Jesus had was what? To try to evangelize. Now, what is our purpose on earth? Brethren, it's to seek and save the lost. That is our purpose, to seek and save the lost. So what should be our purpose in any conversation that we have with anybody. Certainly we know there are certain things that had to be done in the realm of business and, and things that are the cares of the world. But even involved in those things, we're able to, if we're thinking spiritually, to even bring God into those conversations. Do we try to think on a spiritual level, to, no matter who it is that we're talking to, to talk to them Get them to think about spiritual things. That's a challenge. Because you see, we're people and we're surrounded by people of the world who don't think that way, who don't act that way, that don't think that's important. And so if we're not careful, brethren, we'll just conform to the world. And we'll think that's normal as Christians to conform to the world in that way. Now, we're not to be conformed. We're to be transformed. In Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch has gone several hundred miles, at least a couple hundred miles in a chariot, to what we'd say, well, he's been to church services. He's gone to Jerusalem to worship. So we know that this man is a, a religious man, that he's reading his Bible, he's reading from the book of Isaiah, and that God sends the preacher out there to talk to him. And again, the point being, if that Ethiopian eunuch, being a religious man who worships God, who would travel all this distance just so that he could go to a church service and worship God, if he dies, is he going to heaven? Obviously not. Or God wouldn't have sent the preacher out there to talk to him. So how do I start this conversation? Philip runs up next to the chariot and he sees that the man is reading from the word of God. Do you understand what you're reading? You ever, you ever been someplace where someone, maybe out in a park or in a restaurant, a library, wherever, somebody has their Bible open and they're reading from their Bible and you think, hmm, that's probably somebody that'd be a good person to talk to about the truth because they're already spiritually minded. Wish I knew what to say, and we just keep going. You mean you wish you knew what to say? 
God gave us that exact situation. Here is somebody reading from their Bible, and so Philip runs up next to him, and what's the question we ask that person that we're passing by in the restaurant with their Bible open? Do you understand what you're reading? Well, I've never, I mean, that's kind of awkward. These people don't even know me. Oh, did this Ethiopian know Philip when he just comes running up next to the chariot? Hey, you understand what you're reading? Awkward. No, what's going to be awkward is when we stand before God and God says, why didn't you talk to people about me when you had the opportunity? And we just, that's awkward. Do you understand what you're reading? We ask the person there in the restaurant, and they look up and they go, yes. Oh, I don't know what to do. You're supposed to say no. Because <laughs> that's why when Philip said, do you understand? He said, no, I need somebody to teach him. And he goes, well, okay. He invites Philip up into the chariot. I'm wanting him to say, well, no, you know, would you sit down and talk to me about this? Yeah, well, sometimes that might happen. But what happens when they say no? Or when they say Yes. Yes, I understand. Well, have a good day. I know they don't really understand. I know where they go. They're not even part of the New Testament church. He just thinks he understands. He doesn't really understand. But have a good day. At least I tried. We break our arms, batting ourselves on the back. <laughs> I reached out. Is there is there a follow-up when they say Yes. How about something like, well, what is it that you're studying? You know, maybe you can help me. Could you share it with me? Probably if they're spiritually minded, they'd be going to sit down, yeah. And they'll tell you what they're talking about, what they're reading about, what they're studying. And next thing you know, you can start asking questions. You know, I've had opportunities several times on airplanes and traveling to visit with somebody that was sitting next to me. And I find out, you know, that, that they're a member of some denominational church. And, and I'll just ask the question. I'll ask them and say, well, what does a person need to do so that they can know that they're going to heaven? And they will, they will start going through what they were told to do to accept Jesus in their heart or whatever it was to become. And so... I'll sit there and say, well, where in the Bible can I find that that's the answer? And if they give me a Bible verse, I'll look and I say, well, you know what? That's right. I believe that. I believe it because it's in the Bible. But then when they say things that I know are inconsistent with what the Bible teaches, now I've got the opportunity to say, well, help me understand this because the Bible says this and you said this. Sometimes it goes well. Sometimes they immediately form a resistance. That's going to happen. But the point is, brethren, we had a conversation with somebody who's lost. God didn't say make the seed grow. God just said sow it. The question for us today, and as we end class here, the challenge is, are we sowing the seed? Thank you for your attention.